don't underestimate how this work can help change the globe because our capacity to regulate and really listen to our bodies means it just puts out an energy field that's just cleaner and more connected and people feel it when you have that level of regulation in your system. This is a Soul Fire production. My guest today is Irene Lyon. She is a nervous system expert who teaches people around the world how to work with the nervous system to transform trauma, heal the body and the mind, and live full, creative lives. In today's conversation, we talk about how nervous system dysregulation can be passed down through generations, what neurosensory exercises are and what they're helpful for, and why some people are more resilient than others, and some people get more affected by events than others. We even dive into preverbal and early developmental trauma and how to heal it, which is something that I am constantly being asked by clients, so I truly hope that this episode, this conversation benefits you today. You might even want to pull out your paper and pen. It is jam-packed with so many resources to help you straight from Irene. Irene, welcome to the show. I am so ecstatic to have you here today. Yay. Hey, Sarah. Thank you for having me. And yeah, we got lots to talk about. So we were just starting to dive into how especially empaths in the world tend to be sponges, tend to absorb and pick up on what's happening, whether it's down the street or whether it's across the world, just as a collective. And we're going to be talking a lot about nervous system and and trauma today and fight, flight, freeze response. And so I'd like to start right there just so that everyone listening can really realize like, how they're impacted, their nervous system is impacted by everything that is happening in the world right now when there's like global stressors happening. Yeah. Well, there's always global stressors. I think what's so strange now is because of the internet, we're seeing it Mm -hmm. so much more, you know, it's instant, it's constant. It's like an assault on our system. The interesting thing though, and I might need to define a few things to answer your question. It really depends on the person. So our autonomic nervous system, and do you want me to define what that is? Just so sure. that yeah. those, okay. So the human system and other mammals, we have these nervous systems and obviously other animals too, but I'm going to break them down into two. One is the central nervous system and one is the peripheral nervous system. Mm -hmm. So the central nervous system is like it sounds central, meaning in the center. So that's our brain. I know I'm using my hands to show you, but (laughs) so those listening, pretend my hands are moving to my head. So the central nervous system is the brain and spinal cord. So that long cord that runs down to our tail Then the peripheral nervous system is everything that comes out of the central nervous system. Mm -hmm. So we have these cranial nerves that come out of our brain. We have all these nerves that come out of our spinal cord and allow us to move and walk and digest food and make funny faces and smile and have empathy, all these things. So there's those two nervous systems for simplicity's sake. The autonomic nervous system is part of that peripheral nervous system. And it's kind of got two functions, but they're big functions. One is our 
autonomic processes. So like I have a little bit of a drink here, some coffee. As I drink that, I don't have to think about going down into my stomach, into my intestines. Um, I have some water here too. Like I don't have to think about that same if I have a cut on my hand, the immune system, the clotting mechanisms, they just happen. So we have these autonomic processes that are governed and the autonomic nervous system is in charge of them. The other responsibility for the ANS, we'll abbreviate it, are those, and you already mentioned them, the survival energies. So fight, flight, and freeze. And that's sort of a simplification of what happens when something is big and scary and bad, and it's either around us, it's coming at us, or we imagine it because we can also put ourselves into a bit of a funk by imagining or having a memory of something that was big, bad, and scary. That makes sense? Yeah. Cool. So that autonomic nervous system that I just broke down, it is not fully functioning when we're born. So if we have a full-term baby, let's just say, usually they know how to poop and pee and we know that because they come out and they're doing that stuff. And again, granted they're neurologically healthy, they suckle, they feed, but they don't know how to walk. They don't know how to take care of themselves when they feel cold. You know, if they have gas in their bellies, they'll start to whimper or they'll cry. When they're hungry, they'll cry. When they're scared, they'll go into shutdown. What they don't have completely built in at that level, at that age, I should say, is the ability to to self-regulate. So that's kind of a buzzword right now in the trauma world, which basically means regulate their emotions, regulate their experience of the world. They're just brand new. And so humans and other mammals learn that via their primary caregiver. Usually it's the mom, but it could be, you know, a a a babysitter, a grandparent, that kind of thing, obviously the father, et cetera, et cetera. So we learn how to regulate and deal with the stress in the world and our internal physiology, like all the stuff going on inside that's new to us based on how that primary caregiver cares for us and normalizes things. So if you have and I'll just say a caregiver for sake of simplicity, whom hears a baby cry or their baby cry, and they immediately care and listen and attune. That's another big buzzword, attune. I was like, oh, what's going on with you? You know, the way one would hope a baby is treated, they pick them up, maybe they need food, maybe they're hot, so their clothes are loosened, all these things. That teaches that little human how to Mm self-regulate. But if the caregiver has their own stuff that they're dealing with, their own stress, isn't attuned to their adult body, they will struggle to attune to the infant. And that is the, this yeah, is- and that is the start. Uh, and I'm really simplifying it, but this is the start of that little human not getting its needs met. And then, of course, depending on how the rest of the days and months and years play out, and I'm again generalizing, often that little one starts to become a little weary mm-hmm. of who's taking care of them. The environment starts to starts to be unsafe. They're not completely themselves. We could say they're not being authentic in their biology because mom or dad freaks out whenever they have a poopy diaper for example, right? And they, oh, this is disgusting. And oh, and now I have to take care of you. And it put, it's like, it's putting them off their needs of the day because they're dealing with their own stressors. So I give you that story to say, depending on the scenario of a human when they're little, that will determine what and how much they can handle 
in the year 2021, for example. Mm -hmm. So someone who had really solid regulation and was cared for, not not like uh, spoiled, but really cared for and then was taught boundaries, right from wrong, all the things that little people have to learn, all those sorts of things, that human will be more resilient, will have more capacity, whereas the other human that didn't have that connection, attunement, all that stuff, they're going to feel a little unsure of the world, unsure of themselves. Mm -hmm. And in working with lots and lots of people worldwide, that's actually a a very strong um, predisposition, if you will, to being really empathetic Mm -hmm. and empathic and sensing energies because we've been primed to sense just the world. Like I have to really know what's happening in my mother or father or caregiver's world energetically so that I don't cry right now, or I don't get in trouble right now. I'm going to not share the song I learned at school with my classmates and I want to sing it out loud, but oh, mom looks really pissed off and mad. So I'm going to just button that up, but I can feel all her energy. Right. So, so many examples that answer your question for absolutely. Okay, cool. And I love how you, you just naturally connected the empath in there because in my work and the women that I work with, including my personal story, a lot of that is rooted in unsafe, unstable, chaotic childhood where potentially needs were not met. And then therefore you develop a muscle that I think we all have, but it's like you strengthen it to such an extent that it helps in the survival mode. It helps you attune to the needs of the people around you or threats in the room. And then when we think about that in a global level or a big picture now, it's like, okay, so you're naturally more attuned to pick up on some of the nuances of maybe like a parent and that can then transfer to things that are happening globally as well. And what I was going to stop you and say is that I have a three month old. So I, and she's my my first, like my daughter, and I'm going through all of that right now where Mm -hmm. I am helping her learn how to self-regulate. But when we first brought her home, it was, you know, so obvious that she wasn't able to self-regulate at first. And, you know, we had to really use intuition and notice how my nervous system was responding to her to try and discern what her needs are and were because that's something like I'm just trying to learn as well. And it's so interesting the way that, especially in those first few weeks when she would be sleeping in the bassinet next to our bed and she would make these little, you know, like squeaks and squawks. And my body was like, like just like so responsive to every little noise that she made Mm -hmm. because I was trying to like translate what they meant. And now I don't have such a full body response to every squeak and squat because I've learned her kind of language. Language, totally. And we're continuing to get to know each other. And you can tell that she's, I don't know that she's fully self-regulating yet, but Mm -hmm. she's definitely starting to learn, you know, some methods of self-regulation, even if it's just in the beginning, needing to be held pretty much constantly. And now she can be put down for a little while. And somebody reminded me of something that's so obvious, but like my mom brain just like didn't, I don't know, it didn't comprehend at first. And it was like, they don't know how to be alone. They've never been alone before. And I was like, okay, that's a very valid point, right? Like Mm -hmm. they've, she's my daughter in this case, her name's Emerson. Mm -hmm. Emerson's never been alone. So how are we supposed to expect her to just like, Oh, okay. No, go be by yourself. Right. Like she, they need us. And 
a lot of that is for like syncing up, you know, hormones, body temperature and, and nervous system. So I just wanted to share that I'm going through like all no. of that right now. And something you do in your work, Irene, is these neurosensory exercises. So because especially within this empath community, high sensitive, high intuitive, people may be navigating their own stuff and then also feeling the world stuff. How do we come back to center? Like how do we start to find that homeostasis? And what are some ways that you you do that with your clients, your community? Yeah. Well, first off, congratulations. And you're a really Thank good you. mom for <laughs> having that awareness because I think, and I, I'll get to your question, but mm -hmm. we'll lead into that. You know, humans, I often give this analogy. So I'm going to start with this and then get into your question. It's a common one I use, but if you think I'm in Canada, you're in the States, mm -hmm. in Colorado, and I don't, I'm assuming you guys have bears in the, the mountains around yeah. you. And yep. yeah, so do we, like just across the bridge, there's a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And when little cubs are born here, and where you are, the mother treats them exactly the same. There's, you know, there's no playbook. There's no Google for what do I do when my little cub is crying? They just know intuitively what to do. I mean, same with, uh, if you've ever seen a litter of kittens or puppies, like granted the, the mother is well, she knows what to do. You know, you lick and all these things. And so I'm saying this because if we didn't have that good attuned connection with our mothers, usually our mothers, we have to learn it as adults when we have our offspring and it's a big job. And so you're right. It's like every little squeak and squawk you're, you will know. And then before you know it, you're like, oh yeah, that's what this means. That was, that, And it's just, so I say that because when we start to learn how to pay attention to our nervous system as adults, and let's just say hypothetically, someone's like, oh my gosh, I totally didn't get that kind of care that Sarah's giving her daughter. One, we might need to grieve that and really feel it. I think that's important. I don't believe we have to go to our mother or our father or a nanny and get mad at them for, you know, it's, that's beyond important. I, I just, it's just not important, especially sometimes those people have already passed. So you can't do that, but to grieve maybe that loss that I didn't get that. I didn't get that connection. But then as an adult, make that decision. Oh my gosh, I want to really nurture myself and give my body because it's really the body, the nervous system, what it never got. And so pending where a person is, because when we have a dysregulated nervous system and we haven't healed it at that level, everyone's genetics are different. So some folks might have a chronic illness. Mm -hmm autoimmune, someone might be more plagued with more, we call it mental illness, but it's still physiological. Yeah. Um, so there's all sorts of things, relationship tr troubles, um, sabotaging ourselves, all that kind of thing. One of the very first things that I teach my students, and it's going to seem really simple, Sarah, but it goes back to that baby, is listening to when we have to go to the bathroom, the restroom, as you might say in the States, right? Yeah. Like when is there pressure in the bladder? When is there pressure in the rectum? Is there gas that needs to be passed? Like you would never say to your little girl, hold that in and say, excuse me. You wouldn't do it. Like same with an animal in the wild. Like they are letting their bodily impulses move through autonomically, automatically, because that's what the system is. Right. And so one of the more powerful things that a person can start to monitor is how they might suppress these needs. Mm -hmm. 
and even feel shame around passing gas, that kind of thing. And, you know, don't be crazy about it, but just like, you know, feel what it's like to let maybe a burp come out or a fart come out in public and just most people won't say anything, right? <laughs> but we're like, oh, excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry. Or when we cough or sneeze, pardon me. We're always excusing ourselves for our bodily impulses. Yeah. And when you do feel that pressure in the bladder, if of course there's a bathroom and you can go, go. And I catch myself too. I'm here working at my desk and I, I'm in something and I, oh, I really have to pee. I'll just one more email. And it's like, no, right. I mean, go. The email will be here when you come back. Hello, podcast fam. Just popping in for a second because in this postpartum period, I have a whole newfound respect for how much you need to supplement and hydrate and give your body the nutrients that it needs in order to be breastfeeding. So one thing that has been supporting me so much is having my container of electrolytes next to me pretty much all day long. I, as you guys have heard me talk about before, I'm a huge fan of Element Electrolytes. They are salty and delicious and there are some amazing flavors. My current favorite is their new flavor, watermelon, but I also love the raspberry, the citrus, the orange. They're all really good. And electrolytes are charged minerals that conduct electricity to power our nervous system. And mine has felt a little bit fried lately because we are not sleeping through the night. We are getting max of about three hours of sleep at any given time. So regulating my hydration as well as my husband's and balancing fluids inside and outside of my cells has been so supportive, literally feels life-saving. And as a Uncensored Empath podcast listener, you get to try these amazing electrolytes for free. You just pay $5 in shipping. You get a free sample pack. Simply go to drinklmnt.com backslash empath to try it out. Again, that's drinklmnt.com t.com backslash empath. And I'd love for you to let me know what your favorite flavor is and tag me over on Instagram. Oh, and the other thing would be food. And we know, I know so many people struggle with eating. We have lots of eating disorders. You know, we, we don't eat when we need food or we eat too much, or we don't drink enough water, all these sorts of things tired, you know, when we're tired, we take a hit of coffee or sugar when really maybe what we need to just get outside and move or lay down or breathe a bit or do something different. By going back to those, I call them biological impulses and really listening and then acting on them, we're actually talking to our autonomic nervous system and acknowledging its needs. Do that consistently for a week or two, or even a month, I can almost guarantee, of course, I can't verify this, but I'll almost guarantee that that person will start to then listen to their emotions differently, their sensations differently, because the sensations in the body, like tightness in the chest or butterflies in the belly or the throat clamping up because we really want to say something. We don't even notice sometimes these physiological contractions and expansions, not because they're not there, but because we're not attuned. It's like your little girl. We're not attuned to listening to that language. And so um, that would be one thing. And I'll, I'll pause in case you have any thoughts or questions. When you were talking about releasing gas, even 
I've been teaching yoga for 11 years and, um, you know, like this, like we twist our body and so, you know, but there's, there is such embarrassment that comes along with that. Like oftentimes you don't even know who it was, but like, maybe it was obvious and that you can just like see that person, like go into a little Shrink. ball, like, Oh my gosh. Like, and it breaks my heart. Cause it's just like, you know, this is what our body was meant to do. And it made me start to think about, you brought up chronic illness and autoimmune, and it makes me think about the emotional root of some of our physical symptoms. And if we're trying to like withhold or contract or uh, yeah, it's just this clenching energy, then we're going to see physical symptoms in our digestion as well. People underestimate how simple the body, the body is bloody complex, but it's also really simple. If we, again, think about a world where that organism, that mammal, that human is just allowing things to flow, but we've been so conditioned and socialized to be a certain way. Um, It's very British, you know, that stiff British upper lip. It's very um, proper. You know, you have to sit a certain way and you can't express do these things. And that's great about the yoga class. Cause you know, I know what you mean that yeah. happens and you feel the tension. Like it's like yeah. this class tension, but if you have ever been to like a nursing home or visited, you know, a grandparent, uh, somewhere and, uh, when you get to be a certain age and you're maybe unwell, these things just come out and no, yeah. like the person doesn't notice. You don't even know. Like it's just part of it. It also of- happens after pregnancy. As I've realized. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And, and I just, yeah, I just think that there's so much judgment around it. Yeah. We and- have a lot to learn. bringing it back to what you talked about self-regulating from our parents, especially our mother, I learned that you are not supposed to, I actually can't burp. So that's not so much in my, like, I, which is probably something wrong with my digestion, but I literally like don't, I've burped like maybe five times in my life, but gas, I feel like we watch our parents. I don't think sorry, dad, but like, he doesn't listen to the podcast anyways. I've never heard my dad fart like once, not even once. And so there's this kind of this feeling of like, oh, like if my parents don't do it, I shouldn't. And I remember dating when I was in high school, right? And just (laughs) feeling like, oh my, like I I got a fart right now. And like, just, I would hold it in with every ounce of strength I had because I was going to be mortified because you just, women don't do that. You don't do that. Oh yeah. Like now my husband, like my husband and I are just whatever. Right. But like, good. (laughs) I just wanted to add that conversation around there being a lot of embarrassment and a lot of that withholding Mm -hmm. that constricting energy. Well, there was even an entire episode of Sex and the City back in the day, if you ever watched that show, where like Carrie was mortified and thought that her her man, Mr. Big, was going to break up with her because she did a number two as a part apartment. Yeah. It's like, what? Like, come on, really? Right. But I actually have experienced that, not recently, but more you know, in high school, where it's like, oh, girls don't do that. It's like, right. oh my God. But that shows, I mean, it seems kind of comical, but that's a perfect example of how conditioned we are to not be connected to our bodies. And here's the interesting thing. Right now, trauma and the nervous system and all this stuff is a real buzz, they're buzz terms in the healing world. Mm -hmm. And 
because the research is coming out and because people like me doing videos and other colleagues getting more vocal, everyone wants to heal their dysregulation. Everyone wants to heal their traumas and rightfully so, because we know that when we stay dysregulated, it is fairly evident based on the research and just people's experience that we're not well, we don't age well, we get sick, but everyone wants the kind of like the cherry on top of the Sunday. They want to get to the top of Everest first, but not climb the mountain, not get to that, that, that top. And there's something very basic about the way we start to heal our nervous system around these bodily impulses. Because here's the thing, Sarah, the things that we have trapped that I have witnessed personally with my own healing and working with clients and hearing um, anecdotes, you know, in, in trainings and watching demonstrations when I'm in my trainings, the human system holds a lot. And when that stuff comes out, of course, we want to contain it and not hurt anyone or someone else, but it can look pretty crazy what comes out. And it isn't just a shaking of the arms or the legs. It can be insane cries, convulsions, just crazy stuff. I'll make it that simple, crazy stuff. So if we aren't comfortable with passing some gas, and I've seen this, it's going to be a strain for someone to get that stuff out. And it shouldn't be a strain. Like when we are, when we have done the foundational work and when we have really listened to our impulses and we've trained our body to be more, or we've trained ourselves to be more attuned, our higher brain to be more attuned to our biology. When those shakes and screams and weird, crazy things that are needing to come out, come out. Anger, that's a huge one too. Healthy aggression. It just comes out easily. But if we haven't done that baseline, we're going to push it. It's like, we're going to try to force it through a really small hole. And my experience has been, everyone wants it to go away quick and wants it to heal fast. But when we do the foundations and really stick with that, the traumas start to come out a little easier. I'm not going to say that they're not intense because they can be intense, but we won't be like having to recover for like a month afterwards. Whereas a lot of popular stuff right now is to do lots of shaking practices, for example. But I can tell you right now, I'm working with people, especially with chronic illness, that if their system and foundation isn't ready, if they haven't done a little bit of baseline regulation, that can put a person out for a year. I've had some people be screwed after um, even something like an ayahuasca retreat, or they want that quick, quick opening, but then it opens so quick and so big that the system just fractures. So um, I kind of say that just to really stress, don't underestimate this talk of listening to our impulses and just tracking them and following them and honoring them the way that a really good mother would their infant. Mm -hmm. Or if that's a bit too um, triggering, because for some people they had terrible upbringings with their um, mother, father, et cetera. Imagine how that mama bear, pick your favorite mammal in the world and imagine how they would care for their, their young, you know, and feel that. You know, this makes me think of, especially those who have experienced trauma in their life, how we can start to kind of condition ourselves to be more comfortable in the chaos than the calm. Mm -hmm. And that when we're searching for healing, that we potentially like have this belief or this, this feeling like it should be hard. And what you just offered up to us in the beginning there was like actually quite like 
foundational. Um, I don't want to say simple because it could still be challenging for yes, people. Yes, it can be challenging. But foundational. And so it's like, can we give ourselves permission to like not have it to be this explosive thing? Because like you mentioned, the mass chaotic, like acute event can lead to then a year of healing or a month of healing versus allowing our system to heal in a way that Mm -hmm. um, is more like down, actually down regulating. And I know you, you teach some neurosensory exercises. So I'd love for you to talk kind of like what, what those are. um, If there's anything you can maybe like give us a quick teaching on or where to to start with that down regulation. And yeah, I, I love what you said. I wrote it down so I didn't forget comfortable in the chaos, you yeah. said. And I have a saying that I often use, which is we need to educate the chaos. Mm-hmm. So part of the practices that I teach and offer my students, the neurosensory exercises are the practical, like working with your body, feeling it. And I'll give you some examples yeah. in a second. But part of that concept of educating the chaos I would say 50% at the beginning of, I call it nervous system apprenticeship, because it's like we're becoming an apprentice of our nervous system. Um, It's education. Mm -hmm. So learning quite at a deep, high level, what the heck the nervous system is, um, how it got formed, how it might not have got formed well, and the reactions that might come out. And so I say that because a common thing that people might say to someone when they're anxious is what? I'll, I'll quiz you. It's like, I'm anxious. What should I do? Well, I feel like people take a deep breath, right? You <laughs> Great. You, you, you passed. So it's like, and that's old school news because we, na- we know, and this is not something new, but physiologically, when you inhale big, that actually speeds the heart rate up. It's just mm. physics. Exhale is actually helps the heart rate slow down, but it's an oversimplification because the survival physiology that's trapped in the body, the fight, flight, and that freeze, which is like a whole other topic, which is quite complex. So I'll not get into that. (laughs) It wants to come out. It doesn't want to be trapped, right? So if we um, had an accident and we wanted to shake and we couldn't because we said to ourselves, oh, this is, I don't want to look crazy. I'm going to hold it in. It wants to come out. So part of these neurosensory exercises, it's less about managing, let's say, the anxiety or the the tough sensation, but reconnecting. One of them, a big one, is reconnecting to the environment. Mm -hmm. So it would be called orienting. It's kind of a very hot topic buzzword in the fields I study, which is somatic experiencing. But when we have had a trauma, when we've had a scary thing happen to us, we lose connection with the world around us. We've heard of the concept tunnel vision, you know, we're only seeing in one slice. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people don't even know that there is a world. They know they're walking in it, but they're disconnected from it. So something as simple as taking a second, and I can guide you through this really quickly if you want, is to just let your eyes and let your head move such that you see something in your room around you. So something that isn't the screen that's in front of you, but to just kind of take a gander. Like you're just sort of checking out, I don't know if there's a plant or a painting or a window or an outside and to actually feel the movement of your head, 
and eyes. And it's a slow movement. It isn't a quick back and forth, back and forth. And even as I said that, you nodded a little bit. So you could even notice that nodding of the head. Now, this orienting, it seems really simple. And this is where it gets complex, Sarah. Some folks will do this and they will actually find that their breath returns to not normal, but there's a spontaneous breath that occurs. So I would say probably 50% of the people listening as they, if they actually played and tried that slowly seeing the world around them. Oh, wow. There's, there's a tree I haven't even seen yet today. Those sorts of things are, oh, there's that pile of books that have been sitting in my corner forever. Some people will find that, it's just, it, it allows. I felt that. I felt okay. um, kind of an instantaneous, almost relaxation where it was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And exactly. And I mean, right now we've got a computer suit when your eyes are fixed in a position that actually creates tension. So just that alone will right. allow the system to come. I mean, anyone that has a lot of computing, that's an important thing to do is to look away and far away often. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing is that with this orienting concept, For some people that had a lot of early developmental trauma, that's sort of what would occur in utero and up to sort of age five, three-ish, the environment might be really terrifying. And that's why a person disconnects from it or dissociates. Mm -hmm. So let's just say someone did that and it actually spiked some, we would call it sympathetic arousal, fight flight energy. We would call it anxiety or actually cause them to tighten more. That doesn't mean that a person is broken. It just means that's too intense. So it might be that they need to orient closer and just maybe look at their hands, or maybe that's even too much. Maybe they just have to feel the ground under them and feel their feet on the carpet. Or maybe I've got a desk in front of me, just feel the texture of the wood that I'm touching and just drop into that. And so the neurosensory exercises are a blend of this engaging with the environment, but also learning how to engage with the physical body and its connection to the environment. And then because there's you know dozens and dozens of them in my programs, we might pay attention to the adrenals. We might pay attention to an area of the heart called the mediastinum. We might pay attention to the gut and its connection to the brain because there's a big gut-brain connection through something called the vagus nerve. We might pay attention to the joints of the body and use self-touch to bring tactile, hello. It's like literally saying hello, the way you would with your with your baby. You know, there's a, these games that we play with them when we're dressed. This is your elbow. This is your, you know, it's how you teach them words is you talk and you touch. But if we didn't have that nurturing connection with someone when we were young, it can be very powerful for a human being of our age, older, to take their hands and be like, this is my chest and just land on it. Or this is my wrist, but not like this is my wrist and really tight, but like gentle, but contained and really like, wow, this is my wrist. And the reason I'm giving you these examples is our body these joints, the levels, um, we would call them diaphragms in osteopathic medicine, but they also line up with the chakras, for example, mm-hmm. sort of crown to root, to foot, to feet. They, when, when we are under stress, when we are not being attuned to these joints, our gut, the diaphragms, our fascia, our muscles, even our bones, Sarah, all the spaces, all the fluids, they contract and they hold emotion. They hold sensation. They hold fear all these things. And so part of building foundation with these neurosensory exercises is reteaching ourselves how to reconnect to all these somatic 
body-based parts. Yeah. And then, you know, in that perfect world, <laughs> and this does happen because I've seen it happen with my students, you get to a point where you're not having to always do such fine-tuned touch because mm, I liken it to like a coloring book. You can think about a coloring book that's just black and white and it hasn't been filled in. It's like we're trying to color in this organic system of ours that's kind of being felt in a two-dimensional way. And we're bringing more dimension, more texture, more feeling. The fancy word would be more introception, the perception of the internal environment, so that we can listen to what our physiology needs. And from my experience and hearing my students, the more and more we can fill in and plump up, and I don't mean like get bigger, but just like have more texture and dynamic quality to the body, the more we become connected to our own nature and the easier we can connect to the nature around us and the, the world around us. Yeah. That makes sense. Absolutely. And I'm just thinking about how this can be such a potentially missing link for a lot of the autoimmune and chronic illness community mm-hmm. who uh-huh. may have found uh, dietary changes to be helpful, which they are immensely yes. helpful. Um, yeah supplements that have created more balance in their body to be super helpful. And they are, Mm -hmm. but it's like, if we don't also bring it to the nervous system on on that level, then it seems to me that it would still be extremely hard to heal. It's essential. And I don't know if you have come across the book, When the Body Says No by David Mm -hmm. Mate. So he's That book, I would say, is essential reading for all humans, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but especially humans who know that they maybe were brought up with parents that didn't allow them to express Mm -hmm. that where they had to be always perfect and nice or keep the peace. Like the amount of, again, students and clients where they were the, the, they were more emotionally mature than their parents is so common. And it's not fair. You know, you, you're, you never got to be a kid. I think it's important to be a child and learn how to play and all these things, but they couldn't because they were, you know, the oldest of five and mom was depressed or unwell or an alcoholic or whatever it might be. And they picked up where she left off. But that book is so important because one of the key things in that one, there's a lot in it, but the importance of anger and being okay with our aggression and healthy aggression. And there's a spectrum. It's like allowing ourselves to set boundaries, to say no, but also to like ask for help, you know, to not be this stoic rock. And that's sort of the thing that he really uncovered when he was in palliative care. Um, Not now, but he was a lot of the, the younger folk Uh, succumbing to autoimmune chronic illnesses, they were still apologizing for being sick on their deathbeds. You know, they were, they felt like they were putting people out. They, all these things. And it, it seems almost too simple, but it's like, well, I've seen folks shift symptoms rapidly by working up to being able to let a healthy scream out (laughs) or, scream to that imaginary parent, you know, F you, mm-hmm. I, I hate you. How dare you not to the parent and not right. being mean or violent, but getting that stuff out that never got to come out because if you did, you would have been smacked or you would have been sent to your room. Mm-hmm. Like I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it right now, or you would have been kicked out of the house. Like teenagers get kicked out of the house yeah. because of this behavior. And they're just mirroring 
their uncomfortableness and the injustice of not being listened to and not being allowed to be authentic in who they are. So I just had to mention that book because it's it's a hard read if someone is in the midst of living with a chronic illness. So I would say pace yourself reading it. And then, because there's no actual practices in that book, because it's a theoretical book and a storybook, do the practices to get your body back online. You deserve to allow yourself to be angry. Like anger is, I think, especially for women. Think about that mama bear again. Great one, right? If a wolf came into the den, she ain't going to think, hmm, I wonder if I should protect and like, and and growl. There's no thought to it. No, her anger, like (laughs) mama bear is coming out. And you know that as a new mom who's Mm -hmm. connected to your baby, right? But there's a lot of mothers and fathers and caregivers who wouldn't do that. The amount of clients I've talked to who have had, let's say, sexual assault from people in their family, sadly, it's usually the the father, the uncle, the grandparent, the mothers who knew and did nothing. It's mind-blowing to me. I want to share with you a company that I have completely fallen in love with. Their name is Paleo Valley, and I've been using them for several, several years and found them at the beginning of my journey with chronic illness and healing autoimmune disease. I started taking their organ complex back then, essentially as a multivitamin, and it was so supportive in helping me reclaim my body and my health and my energy. And more recently, I have been falling in love with their super greens. It's a powder that has upgraded spirulina sourcing. It has no cereal grasses. And this busy, busy mama (laughs) is looking for every and any way to add more superfoods and nutrients into my daily diet that can happen quick because MJ is now four months old and she's a lot of work. So this mama doesn't have time to uh, cook the way that I used to. And so I'm so grateful to have this powder. There's 23 superfoods included and one to two servings of vegetables in each serving. So super easy to just add to water or even to a smoothie and uh, get my greens for the day. There are many other products you can try as well from Paleo Valley, including Neuro Effect to help with brain health and cognition. There's the Essential C Complex that I've also been loving. There is their bone broth protein, as well as their Paleo Valley beef sticks that are super easy for on the go. So head over to paleovalley.com, enter the code empath at checkout for 15% off your purchase. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com and enter the code empath, E-M-P-A-T-H for 15% off of your purchase. I was actually just recording a podcast earlier today and we talked about sexual trauma and sacred rage and Mm -hmm. how I brought up that I felt that it was mostly women who repress their anger and their rage. And I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it Mm -hmm. in my lineage through generations. And I know something you've written about is how we our nervous system dysregulation is passed down through generations and all of this is really clicking and making sense and exactly why, because we do mirror what, what we were raised in the environment, whether it was mother or caretaker or whoever else, but that's where we, we learn. And it's like, we, a lot of us have learned that 
expressing your anger or even feeling it is not okay. Mm -hmm. Therefore, that's where we get tons of perfectionists. And even I'm going to bring it back to autoimmune community mm -hmm. as well, where oh, yeah. that's like a big one there. Hashimoto's thyroid issues, yeah. where not only a perfectionist tendency, but also repressing their voice and not speaking right. up right in the yeah. throat. Right. So it clicks. It, it really makes sense. And it, it really emphasizes to me and I hope to those listening how important regulating the nervous system or healing the, the nervous healing system yeah. is in, in like the whole picture of healing. And something else I want to bring up is that I think oftentimes people think that I only need to heal my nervous system if I like know what mm. the trauma has been ah, that happened. Yeah. And I also, it's just the same breath. So many women come to me and they're like, I don't remember anything from of my course. childhood. I, yeah. It's all, I, I don't know. It's just kind of black. It's like, I know I was a kid and I know like where I lived maybe, but like they just don't have any crystal clear memories. And then they think that they can't heal because they don't remember. And I'd love for you to maybe like debunk that and explain yeah. to us why nervous system healing is still for people who don't even like remember the trauma. Great place to go there. So first of all, I have not met anyone, at least in the Western world, call it that these days, who is not struggling, suffering, storing some form of stored survival stress. Because mm. trauma is a loaded word sometimes. And yeah. just because someone gets into an accident, like a car accident, they may walk away and not have any, any post-traumatic stress. It really depends, like, as I said, at the top of our talk mm -hmm. on how they were treated when they were young and if they got good co-regulation. So it's right? like, um, like their baseline. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Totally. So what's interesting is that when we are in utero, so in mom's belly in her uterus area, and when we are like day one to three ish, but I always say five because it's kind of a blend there we would call that pre-verbal. Mm -hmm. So obviously little one inside is not talking, right? The brain isn't using cognition. It's all sensation. It's all autonomic. Mm -hmm. If mother is in an accident and a big thing of stress chemicals goes through her body, that umbilical cord is going to push those adrenalines and, and cortisol and all that to that one. And the, the little one's going to retract back from it. Right. And it, it causes a jolt. We come into the world, let's just say our birth was difficult. We were under stress. This is so common, especially because so many women are so, I hate to use this word, but I'm going to rigid and tense. There's, you know, if we can't fart and burp, how the heck are we going to push something out of our vaginas, right? I mean, yep. it happens because the biology starts, but if we're tense in our jaw, if we're tense, I mean, yes, you need pressure. But there needs to be this flow and this okayness to scream and, and all these things. So when we come out, there could be birth trauma. There could be tension. I've worked with many people who have had surgeries when they were young, uh, procedures that they don't even know about because mm -hmm. parents just didn't think anything of it because my, you, you ended up being fine. A common one actually is uh, when babies are born with clubbed feet and they have mm -hmm. to go into braces, that is highly traumatic on a little infant system to not be able to freely move their legs and right. crawl and all of that. And then just the tensions, Sarah, like it doesn't have to be abusive in the household, mm -hmm. you know, but if mom and dad don't know how to express their emotions or if they have stress in their life at work, whatever, maybe a parent is sick, maybe the partner is sick, 
that tension is transferred to the infant. Mm -hmm. But the infant doesn't cognitively know what they're feeling. This is great for the empath concept. They're just feeling all this bubbly, unresolved energy that's just swirling and swirling. And so what occurs is that that organism, that infant, you know, again, day one to let's say age three is feeling all of this, but it's pre-verbal, meaning they're not cognitively making a memory. Therefore, you're not going to remember. Mm-hmm. You're not going to, it's not like, oh yeah, when I was eight, I almost drowned in the pool. Mm-hmm. Right. And I remember the lifeguard picking me up and gasping and crying. And my mom wasn't there. And I had to go sit with this stranger. Like, so yeah, sometimes we have actual, we call it declarative memory of the event. Mm-hmm. And that can be really useful. But for many, Many of the things we may have either blocked it out because that also happens too, or it's all somatic. It's all in the body. And then, you know, there's transgenerational trauma. And we know through research that, that the stress, the survival stress gets passed through generations. And so if someone's like, I don't remember, A, that's okay because you probably don't remember because it was either maybe in utero, pre-verbal or transgenerational, or it was so intense that you blocked it out as you should have, because you didn't have the capacity to process and integrate and make sense of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I'm going to add, because a lot of people don't connect these dots, but even simple things like dental procedures, things that seem really benign, having a really crappy nurse, you know, when you get your blood taken Mm -hmm. and they don't acknowledge the fact that you're a little scared and they're just really cold and mean about it. Like usually they're okay, but I've had some pretty bad healthcare professionals in my day and you start to shut down because you have to stay still, all these sorts of things. And so there's these little things that we don't even notice are, are trapping a survival stress. So one of the reasons again, why I say start with listening to your biological impulses and these neurosensory exercises is we're not asking the person, okay, think of all the times you were X, Y, Z. We're not going into the story. We're going into the current moment with the body and coloring it in essentially. The other thing that's interesting, I've found because we have this cognitive brain of ours, when we start to learn a bit more and you hear more stories that seeps into the physiology and people will start to feel little hints of something. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, I just, my heart just had a little thump thump when Irene talked about the dental surgery. Oh my God, I forgot. I had a tooth pulled when I was six and it was terrifying. And there was, I was choking on my teeth because it was a bad dentist and the blood was in there because they weren't sucking properly. And so you, it's interesting to see how the brain but the body, when they're connected, it will start to remember what has to be remembered. And when you do the foundational work, because a lot of people too, Sarah, are terrified of what they might remember. That's like what a flashback is, right? Mm -hmm. Up until now, I would say, yeah, classic psychotherapy does not prepare you for the memories coming up. Mm -hmm. But if you do the foundational somatic body-based work and you get the theory on board, it's like you're learning a second language. You're becoming fluent. So when that crazy, scary memory does come up, oh my God, that's that memory. Okay. Orient, feel my ground, feel the feet, touch this, or maybe um, call a friend, 
-hmm. you know, whatever it might be to help stay resourced and surf that wave of that memory rather than, okay, I got to distract myself and go to my phone and start like yeah. scrolling on Instagram, yep. for example. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a common, <laughs> uh, yeah, like yeah. go to. Totally. And as you've been talking, I've just even been thinking about myself and, and just doctor's offices in general. Mm. And I still do the, like, I have work to do and I still to this day, we'll go into any sort of medical office and I usually start sweating and oh, there you go. I get anxiety and I can't pinpoint a specific instance where it was like, oh, this horrible time yeah. when I was at so-and-so doctor, but I've seen a lot of doctors because I have three autoimmune diseases. Mm. And so I don't know if my body blocked it out or if it's just something again that- It could be something that we would call an overcoupling Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, maybe there was something when you were an infant that you don't remember, maybe, who knows, right, maybe. Um, or it's just due to the accumulation of so many visits and maybe them giving you news you don't want to hear. Right. Or well, I have a hard time with trust in our medical system too, because I feel oh like gosh, I've yeah, been of course. You know, just treated really poorly. So I yeah. know that plays into it and the relationships that I've not loved with different medical practitioners. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I still, to this day, it's like I go in and I start sweating. And I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> like, here it goes. So here's an idea, like one thing to try. Um, so that concept of overcoupling, mm -hmm. this is a simplification, but it's like Pavlov's dog. You know, you hear the bell, it starts to salivate, right? So your, your system system is wired to go into kind of an automatic fight flight. That's fight flight that's happening when you start to sweat, your heart rate probably goes up, you get a yep. little red. So to be very, very um, titrated, for example, a word of going small bits before you go like that morning, bef before you even have gotten into your car or someone drives you, mm -hmm. you really ground, but orient and listen to the body and see if there's a tightness, if there's a dread you know, what somatic sensation, what emotion is still lingering from an old appointment where you wanted to tell the doctor to just go to wherever, yes. right? <laughs> you know, like there could be some trapped, might not just be healthy aggression, but trapped like rage and annihilation energy where you might, and I can share some resources on that, where you want to like hit that doctor with a baseball bat, but you couldn't. Right. And so you've got all this survival energy. So actually working on maybe one of those memories where it was really tough and they just didn't empathize or they didn't believe you or whatever, mm -hmm. or they hexed you by saying, this is just going to be this way for the rest of your life. For example, that happens right. all the time, but working on that piece could help disarm that survival energy that's connected to going to an office, mm -hmm. right? Just there's these, yeah, we forget not so we forget, we just don't realize how that stuff lingers. Mm -hmm. And then to really advocate and ask for what you need, you know, if they're, they're rushing over something, say, can you just please wait a moment? Just, I need a moment to take this in, you know? And of course, if they don't say yes to that, then that's a pretty good indication right. to find another doctor, another professional. Right. Yeah. But I find a lot of people are terrified to advocate for what they need, even if it's just, you know what, I need to get a glass of water. Can I just go to the bathroom really quickly? It's like, we think we go into this office and we're like stuck there for 30 minutes. It's like, no, take care of yourself. And even just that going to the bathroom, maybe you don't have to go to the bathroom, but you just, you ground, you splash some water on your face, you do whatever you can so that you're not 
throwing yourself into this essentially a re-traumatization in many ways right anyway just some ideas no that makes so much sense and i've found that i've naturally started asking more for what i need right. like a, we were actually just with a pediatrician the other day it wasn't even my appointment but i was like sweating and i was like i need a glass huh. of water can you please right. give me a glass of water good, good. exactly what i asked for and we had some like big appointments while i was pregnant due to some genetic testing like scare stuff and everything yeah. ended up being fine but i noticed right. myself being like i need a bathroom break and that's exactly what i would do irene i would go and i would just like sometimes I'd actually pee and sometimes I wouldn't, but I'd just be like, okay, yeah, down, yeah. come back into yeah. like your body and not outside yeah. of your body. Ask the questions you want to ask and make informed decisions about about this pregnancy. So it's so helpful and obviously requires, you know, like a level of awareness that we can continue to practice and kind of strengthen that muscle to just notice what our body is telling us because our body is always communicating with us if we're listening. Always. Thank you so much. I, we're, You're welcome. I, I could talk to you for another hour, but we're yeah, out of I know. time. <laughs> I know. It, it's like, it goes on and on. It's good. That's a, It shows that it's, I think, interesting, mm -hmm. obviously for you, but it's needed Like, and it's complex. So we yes. can always have another chat again. I would um, love to. And because it is so complex, I'd love mm -hmm. to give our listeners just resources or direction to take after this. I know you have um, like a YouTube channel. And, yeah. and like where, where should people go to continue? So much. This? Yeah. So my name, just IreneLionLYON.com is my site. Totally Googleable. Googleable. <laughs> um, and when you get there, obviously you can read more about my history, obviously my credentials, all that. And we have a ton of resources that are free. There's eBooks, there's some audio samplers of the neurosensory exercise work that I mentioned. So that's all there. I just say to everyone, go and use that stuff. Don't underestimate it because it's a free resource. Like some people that just can't commit to a paid program, they just go through that stuff and they just repeat it over and over and over again. Then of course, I've got two online programs. The big one we run in March, uh, it's called Smart Body, Smart Mind. It's a 12 week, I kind of call it an apprenticeship. It's like really learning mm -hmm. so much about the system and then practices. So when I mentioned the adrenals and the diaphragms and the joints and the heart space and the gut, we do that in that program. But if someone wants to start now, and I do recommend that because a lot can change in a six month period, um, I have a self-study course called the 21 day nervous system tune-up. So that's been curated from the longer program to kind of give the foundational starting blocks. It won't get into working with the early trauma pieces, but it will start with like, literally, if you think about building a house, like blueprints, foundations, structure. And again, that's something that you, you do, but you can continue to do it over and over again. Yeah. And then YouTube, I've got hundreds of videos there. I have so many um, Q and A's mm. and special topic lectures. There's playlists. So I've got my playlist with the different topics. Mm -hmm. So a person could spend weeks going yeah. through that stuff. They've apparently been deemed binge worthy. So mm -hmm. watch out. I will say this to folks. Find a topic that you're interested in, but treat the education in the video just like a practice. So because it's the internet and you can push play and push pause, don't like white knuckle it through a long form lecture because you just want to get all the information in, like really listen to your body as you're learning. And if you feel, you know, 
a sweat come up or your heart rate starts to say something or you start to remember something or you start to kind of go a little dissociate like freezy, notice that, pause it, come back to the environment. So you can treat the education almost like a practical experience. Yeah. And then, yeah, just start listening to those, those guts and that bladder, just listen to that stuff. I think that's everything. I mean, I'm on all the social channels, all that stuff. I love it. Thank you so much. And I just, this to me feels like such important work for the world. And I Mm -hmm. hope that those people listening may have had like a light bulb moment today and that we can all work on this and and become more aware and listen to our bodies. So Irene, thank you so much for your time, energy, and wisdom. Mm, You are welcome. And yeah, I'll just the final thing I might say is don't underestimate how this work can help change the globe because our capacity to regulate and really listen to our bodies means it just puts out an energy field that's just cleaner and more connected. And people feel it when you have that level of regulation in your system. So whether you are solo, whether you have kids, whether you're a teacher, whether you work with people, whether it's just the people you interact with at you know, the coffee shop, people feel it when you start to get connected at this level and we just need way more of this. So that's my plea. My ask is that just really don't underestimate how powerful this is for changing the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Uncensored Empath Podcast. I would so appreciate if you could take a couple minutes to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you've loved this episode, please share it on social media, tag me, let your friends know about it, and I will see you on the next episode.